Would you just bow your heads in prayer with me as we ask God's blessing upon our time together? Lord Jesus, I just pray that as we look into your word, I pray that your word would come alive to us. I pray that you'd speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that you'd give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to the people. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. For a few moments, I'd like to invite you to travel back in time with me to the book of Numbers. We're going to look at a familiar story from a different perspective. When I think back to it, it was like a bad dream that I couldn't awake from. Even thinking about it today makes my skin crawl. There were snakes everywhere, everywhere. Not just your run-of-the-mill garden snake or your run-of-the-mill black snake, but there were poisonous vipers everywhere that I looked. They had invaded our camp or or else we had invaded their desert territory. And it was as if they were on the attack. You couldn't escape them. And you couldn't get any rest day or night. Imagine what it would be like to go into your tent to lay down in the heat of the day to get some rest. And when you laid your head down on your pillow, a viper would slide out from underneath your bed, your pillow. Scared the life out of you. Imagine at night going into your tent. You pulled down all the sides tightly to keep yourself safe. And you thought that surely I'm safe in my tent tonight when all of a sudden you'd feel the sand under your feet moving as another viper made its way under your tent. It was impossible to sleep during this time. Some of my friends and I took turns during the night watching out for snakes. We had a torch in one hand and a club in the other hand. But it was pointless for anyone to try to sleep because about the time that you would start to doze off, you would hear the commotion of someone seeing another viper and beating it, and so it would startle you and wake you back up. Or else, you would hear the screams from nearby tents as the viper bit someone else. We could not escape from these snakes. When you sat on a rock, just to rest, in the heat of the day, you sat down on a rock just to rest, and all of a sudden, a bunch of snakes would crawl out from the crevice in the rock. I mean, snakes were everywhere. They were in the sand They were on the rocks, they were under the rocks, they were hanging from bushes. When I think about it, it still gives me chills down my back. You would go walk outside and there would be snakes just hanging from the bushes. Not one or two, but handfuls of them. They were in our tents, they were in and under our water pots. I killed literally dozens of snakes that crawled up onto the benches my father had made and placed in front of our tent. When it first started, we thought we could do something about it. So as a group, my relatives and I, we got together and we said, we'll protect our campsite. We picked up rocks and sticks to kill the snakes, but they just kept coming. You would kill one and five more would come back and take its place. My club literally was soaked with blood from beating these vipers. But they would not go away, and they would not disappear. 
Men and women were being bitten all around me. When people were bitten, they would scream out in fear and agony. I don't know if you know what it's like to hear a friend scream in fear. This gut-wrenching fear and agony that would come from like the very core of their being. And it wasn't just one or two. It was all over the camp. At certain times, you wanted just to cover your hands over your head so that you didn't have to hear anymore. The venomous serpents would bite and they would cause searing pain. And almost immediately, wherever they bit the person, they would swell. A hand that was bitten would swell two times the size, almost instantly. That would be followed by a very high fever, trouble breathing. And eventually, they just stopped breathing altogether. People were dying everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere you looked were dead snakes, live snakes, and dead people. Everywhere you looked. It's crazy. I've never experienced anything like it. Friends, people who I loved. One day we're talking and laughing. And the next minute, they're laying on the ground convulsing, unable to breathe, dying. It's kind of surreal to experience something like this. It kind of blows your mind. Death. We've seen so much death lately. One by one, the elders of our nation are dying off. We've buried many of my aunts and uncles, my father's friends. We've just gotten done as a nation grieving for 30 days the death of one of our most precious leaders. He went up onto Mount Hor with his brother and his son, dressed in his religious garments. And when they came back, his son Eliezer was wearing his father's priestly garments. Aaron died on top of the mountain. It seems that a new generation is taking the lead of our nation. It's been a very difficult time for our people. You see, we are followers of the one true God. He delivered our people from bondage of Pharaoh. It was a miraculous deliverance. He promised that he would lead us into a promised land. Over 400 years My people served in Egypt as slaves, but God promised. He promised that he would bring my people out and bring us into a promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. When we got to the edge of that promised land, the leaders chose one representative from each of the 12 tribes to go into the land and to spy out the land and to come back to us with the report so we could come up with our strategy of how we go in. The report was divided. Two said that God had given us the land, that it was just like God said, that it was a land that was flowing with milk and honey, that it was a beautiful land, that we should go and possess the land. But 10 spies came back and their report was different. They told us about the giants that were in the land. They said the land was a very treacherous land. It was a a difficult land and that we should not do it because we were grasshoppers in the sight of these men. And so the majority ruled that day. 
But it's kind of odd because it seems like since then, all we've been doing is walking around in circles, not getting anywhere. It seems like one after another, ever since then, our family, our elders, our fathers are dying off. And we're just walking in circles. We were right on the edge of the promised land again. The only thing, after all these years of wandering through the desert, the only thing that was to stop us, that separated us from the promised land that we've heard so much about, was the land of Edom. The Edomites are our distant cousins. My great, 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 well, I think you get it. My uncle, his name was Esau. He was the brother of our father, Isaac. His descendants would not let us pass through the land. And so our leader Moses persisted in his request. And he said to him, listen, he said, we won't take any of your food. We won't drink any water from your wells. We won't walk through your fields. All we want to do is walk down your road. Just let us follow the road. We'll stay on the road. We'll stay on the path. We won't veer off to the left or to the right. And Moses persisted, and their response was to come out ready for war. They're our kinsmen. They're our cousins. We don't want to fight with them. We don't want war with anybody. And so, though, begins another circle Another long way around in our lives. I don't know if you've ever experienced one of those. One of those times in your life in which it's kind of odd, but you're right at the edge of going into the promised land. And they tell you that you got to go the long way again. They tell you you just can't step across. It's right there. All that's separating us is a day or two's journey. And we got to go back around the mountain, as it were, again. We were headed south, going around the borders of Edom so as not to cause offense to them. When the king Arad, a Canaanite king, came out against us, he attacked us. All we wanted to do was just travel through their land. We were not trying to steal anything or take advantage of them. All we wanted to do was get to the promised land that God has told us about. When they came out ready for war and they took some of our people hostage. Well, Moses, Moses is our leader. Moses sought the Lord and he made a vow. He and the elders made a vow that day that if God would be with them and would deliver the people into their hands, that they would utterly destroy the towns and devote them to the Lord. You see, a part of our tradition is that as a way of worshiping God, instead of taking the possessions of our conquered foes, we would destroy them and offer them as a burnt offering to the Lord. We would keep nothing for ourselves. We would devote it all to our God. Well, God delivered them into our hands that day. And we annihilated our enemies. In fact, when we were done, they called the place Horma or destruction. If you ask me, here is where I feel the problems with the snake started. Even though God had given us an incredible victory 
Even though he handed our enemies into our hands that day, we had to go the long way once again. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. He gave us this great victory. He handed our enemies into our hands. We annihilated them. We did what he said. We destroyed them and we devoted the towns to the Lord. But we still had to go the long way. It was going to take longer than what we had expected. And it required us to travel through some hard, dry places. Life is like that sometimes, isn't it? That sometimes God promises you something, and yet it seems like he delays. That sometimes he leads you through hard, dry, barren, difficult places that you absolutely do not want to experience again. Sometimes it feels like he just keeps taking you around in circles. Being human, it's hard for us to understand that. When the people heard this, when they realized the direction that we were going in, you see, because we had already been through some of those places before, and when they saw that we were headed right back through some of that same territory, many of them began to grow angry. I guess they just didn't understand it. I guess they just didn't understand, God, why don't you just take me into the promised land? I'm ready to go. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go now. Why don't you just take me into the promised land? But God had directed us, why do I got to go the whole way around the outskirts of Edom? Why is Moses leading us back into this dry, desert, barren place? It started with a few who began to grumble. You've probably heard it before. The wife looked at her husband and said, oh, not again. Rolled her eyes. Then another and another. And before long, it began to spread. You see, they were discouraged. They were frustrated. They were frustrated with the circumstance. They were frustrated with the entire situation. You try walking around in a hot desert, over a hundred degrees, with sand in your undershorts for years, And tell me how you feel. It's horrible. Chafing. It's hard. Their frustration began to grow. And it began to take a dangerously familiar turn. They began to grumble against Moses. His leadership. The elders of Israel. Those who God had placed in authority. And then they began to yell And complain against God. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? To die in the desert? Is this how you treat your chosen people? Is this how you treat people who love you, who are called by you? Is this the way that you treat your children? Wasn't there any graves in Egypt that we could have died there? There's no food here. There's no water in this dry desert place. And this manna that you give me every day, I've been eating manna every day, and I am sick of manna. 
I've had boiled manna. I've had baked manna. I've had manna sandwiches. I am sick and tired of manna. Why? Every day we walk out. It's the same routine every day. We get up early in the morning, we go out, and manna's laying on the ground, and we get up enough for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. On Saturday, we collect enough for two days on Saturday. If we try to take any extra, the manna rots. Every day God provides it, but to be honest with you, I'm sick of manna. That's what they said. They said, I'm sick of manna. I detest it. We don't want any more manna. We hate manna. And when I think about it, that's the time that the snakes started to come. And you know what? As I think back to that time, the people who were complaining, they were the ones who were bitten. My father and I, I killed hundreds of snakes during this time. I had them crawling over my leg. I woke up in the middle of the night, just sat down on the bench out there for a few moments, and I couldn't help. I dozed off, and a snake called right across my chest, but it didn't bite me. As I think about it, all those people who were filled with bitterness and complaining against Moses and against God, they were the ones who were bitten. When the people realized what had happened and what was going on, it took them a while. took them a while. When the people realized what had happened and what was going on, they begin to call out to Moses. And they got their leaders to go to Moses. And people ran to Moses. There was a line of people going to Moses. And they're saying, Moses, you got to do something about this. We've sinned. We've sinned against you and against God by the things that we said. We've sinned against you and God by the attitudes of our heart. Would you forgive us? Would you ask God to forgive us? Would you petition God on our behalf that he would stop these snakes? Lord knows we tried to kill him and we couldn't. Would you please petition God? And what I find ironic is that Moses, the one who they complained about, there were times in our nation's history where the people even threatened Moses' life. They said they were going to kill him. They said they were going to kill him and go back to Egypt because it was easier back there. It was easier back there when they were slaves. They lamented the garlic and the herbs that they had back in Egypt and they resented what God had done for them. And so Moses petitions God and he prays to God and the snakes begin to disappear. But we still had a big problem because there were thousands of people who had been stricken by these poisonous serpents. And they were dying. They were dying off one by one. Well, God gave Moses a prescription that day that would bring healing. God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to God, and God spoke to Moses. And God gave him a prescription that would heal anyone. Anyone who had been bitten could be healed delivered. Moses was told to make a bronze serpent, to put it on a pool, and when it was lifted up, those who looked upon it would be healed. Unfortunately, not everyone was healed that day. I saw many of my parents' friends die a very painful death. 
These were people I looked up to and admired. You know, as a boy, there's people who, when you grow up, you want to be like them. I mean, you may not tell anybody, but they were always kind to me. I remember as a boy sitting around the campfire and hearing them tell their stories of what God had done. I never lived in Egypt. My parents had me while we were on this journey. I never got to see what Egypt was like. I don't know anything about Egypt. All I know is the stories that I was told. But I remember sitting by the fire and hearing them tell me where they were when the Red Sea was parted. They told me what it was like to hear the noise of the armies coming, the footsteps of the armies, and the rumbling of chariots in the distance with the Red Sea in front of them, with no way out. And miraculously, God opened up the Red Sea and allowed them to walk through on dry ground. They told me the stories of what it was like when Moses spoke to the rock and water gushed out. They pulled out from in their tents. We're vagabonds. We're homeless. But they pulled out of their tents gems and beautiful gold treasures that the Egyptians gave them as they were leaving Egypt. We were slaves in Egypt, and the Egyptians pretty much forced it on them, this gold and gems and precious stones. So many of my parents' friends and my parents have treasures hidden in their tents. God gave them. I remember one man who told me what it was like the night that the first Passover lamb was slain. He told me how he sprinkled the blood on the doorpost of his house and what it was like in the morning whenever you heard screams of terror and fear as all across Egypt when they awoke to find their firstborn sons dead. But God protected our people. In spite of all that God had done, somehow the hard journey the disappointments, and the setbacks had succeeded in hardening their hearts. They no longer trusted Moses, but you know what's worse than that? They no longer trusted God. Somehow, the experience that they had gone through caused them to wonder if God really is good. It caused him to wonder if he does really care. Something happened on their journey in spite of all that they had seen and all that they had experienced. Something happened on their journey that hardened their hearts. Not just their hearts, but the heart of my own mother. The delays, the disappointments, The hardships of her journey had been able to steal her joy and her faith in the goodness of God. She too had been bitten by more than just one of those detestable serpents. I felt so bad that I could not protect her. But when I heard what God told Moses, I ran to her tent. 
I said, mother, if you will just look to the serpent on the pole, you will live. If you'll just look to the serpent, you'll live, mom. But she refused. I begged her. I pleaded with her. There was no power in the image. The healing was from God. And any individual who trusted God enough to fix his eyes upon what seemed to be a ridiculous remedy would be healed. Individuals as well as a nation had the power of choice. They could refuse to trust God and continue to die off one by one. Or they could look and live. Now today we're going to move forward to the 21st century. As we come forward to the 21st century, we realize that this account from Numbers chapter 21 can apply to believers today. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. God provided a remedy for the people in Numbers chapter 21. And today he provides a remedy for those who are disappointed and frustrated with life. Our job as believers is to point people to the cross. There's the remedy for sin. There's the remedy for sickness. There is a remedy for disease. There is a remedy for disappointment. Our job is to point people to the cross. We're not to point people to a religion. We're not to point people to a church denomination. We're not to point people to a religious leader. We are to point them to the cross, for the cross is what man needs. It seems foolish to think that by looking and trusting in an event 2,000 years ago can help me today. But friend, it is the only remedy for man's greatest needs. There are many around us who are perishing one by one. Our challenge today is to point them to the cross. Second thing we're going to recognize from this scripture that we see. There's a danger today, just like there was a danger in the book of Numbers chapter 21. There's a danger when you and I begin to question the goodness of God. When you begin to question his love for you. There's a danger whenever you get in the state that the children of Israel were in. They were in that time of going around in circles. There were roadblocks in front of them. And so because of the circumstances and the situations that they faced, they questioned Moses' devotion to them. They questioned Moses' leadership ability. They questioned Moses being able to hear from God. They question Moses' integrity. What are you doing, Moses? Are you bringing us out here to kill us? This is a very important thing for you to get today. I hope that you'll listen very closely. One of Satan's schemes 
is to get you to question the leaders that God has placed in your life and God himself. He wants you to begin to growl and grumble and complain about them. Let me explain to you why. He wants a teenager. He wants our teenagers to say, my dad don't love me. My dad don't care about me. My dad's not concerned about me. He doesn't want you to see that your dad gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning and goes to work. My dad got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, went to work, drove up to two hours, working dirty, filthy, hot, loud, dangerous environments every day and drive another two hours home. What he wants you to say is he wants you to say, Mom doesn't care about me. Mom doesn't love me. Mom's not treating me right. They're just trying to stop me from having fun. Mom doesn't understand. Why? Because when you feel that mom and dad don't treat you right, when you feel that mom and dad don't love you, when you feel that mom and dad are somehow not being fair to you, it frees you from your responsibilities to do the right thing. Now you're justified in your actions. Now it's not about you. It's not about you and your choices. Because all the focus goes off of you, and all the focus goes on to how wrong mom and dad are. Let me tell you, young person, when you start doing that, you are in dangerous ground. God has placed in your life your parents. There's no one who will love you more than your mom and dad. There's no one who has sacrificed for you more than your mom and dad. I guarantee you there's young people in churches all across America today who say, my mom and dad are so unfair to me. My mom and dad are so mean. My mom and dad do not understand. God establishes authority to provide protection. In homes, wives, let me speak to you for a moment. The enemy would love for you to question the love of your husband for you. Just like with children, just like with kids, the enemy would love for you to say, my husband doesn't treat me right. And you know what? Maybe there's some things that he needs to grow in and maybe there's some things he needs to learn. But please listen. He wants wives to say, my husband doesn't care. He's not concerned. This isn't right. All the things I've going through, all of the roadblocks that have come into my life, it's not fair. I'm not going to live like this anymore. That's what the children of Israel did. They said, God, you're treating me like garbage, and I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And what did it do? It enabled them to step out from under God's covering and his protection for them, and it brought them to the focus was no longer on them and their responsibilities. You see, as long as I can say my husband is treating me horribly, my husband is failing in all of these areas, what can I do? Then I can justify myself. I can justify myself. What else can I do? He's not taking care of me. Well, wait a minute, no, pastor. That's exactly what the children of Israel said about God. God said, I'm going to be a husband to you. And they said, you're not treating me right. You're not caring for me right. You're not protecting me. You're not watching over me. And what did they say? They went on to say, if you read throughout the Old Testament, throughout the prophets, with their idolatry and their immorality, they attributed the good things that came into their lives to these idols that they worshipped instead of God. Let's take this further. On your job. Whatever authority God has placed in your life, 
See, authority comes from God. It's given by God, and it's taken away by God. Now, you may say, well, well, boss is a jerk, and he may well be, but I want you to know God can move him out of the way quicker than his head can spin. God can deal with anyone who mistreats you or abuses you or anything like that, but for you to come out and to get rebellious and resentful and bitter and hard-hearted is not the way to respond to that. In church, God places leaders in the church. And again and again, what you find across America, you find people who say, you're not doing what I need from you, or you're not. And somehow they begin to feel that somehow they're mistreated, or someone doesn't care. And so what do they do? They pull themselves out from under the covering that God has established. And then again and again, it turns out in the negative. Finally, probably one of the biggest concerns is when we... As believers, because we face another roadblock, we say, God, you're not treating me right. It's not fair. Why are you doing this to me? Why don't you just give me my way? What's that sound like to you? It sounds like a child. It sounds like someone who's immature. Please understand, we all face hurts and we all face disappointments. But what does hardening your heart do for you? It creates another problem. It creates another difficulty in your life. With your hurts and with your pains and with the disappointments in life, maybe some of them have bitten you. You haven't been bit by a snake but you've been bitten and they begin to infect us. Man, I didn't think life was gonna turn out like this. I didn't think this is the way it was gonna go. There's a remedy. Just like in the desert, there was a serpent that was made, a brass serpent, put it on a stick and they lifted it up. There was nothing in that image Later on, they crushed the image because the people began to worship it. They're like, no, you're not getting it. Second Kings, you're not getting it. No, it's not that. It's that when you obey God, when you trust in what God says, and just as foolish as that sounds, in some ways it sounds foolish to the human understanding and mind to say, look to the cross. But when you're telling God how unfair he's been to you, Look to the cross. When you tell him how disappointed you are that you didn't get your way and that things didn't work out the way that you wanted, and when you begin to question his love for you, I want you to do it. Go ahead and do that. But put the cross in the background of your situation. Tell God how he doesn't care for you. In that situation, pour out your heart to him, but have the cross in the background so that you can see it. You know what Jesus said? He said that when I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. There's something about when you look to the cross in faith and believing, understand what Jesus has done for you, that it puts everything else in perspective. Friends, you and I have the choice. We can allow ourselves to become resentful and bitter and disappointed, 
We can allow ourselves to be stung by all of the fiery disappointments that life has thrown at us, or we can look to the cross and live. My prayer for you today is that you'll look to the cross and that you'll live. Father God, I thank you today for our time together in your word. We ask you, Lord, this morning that the Holy Spirit would speak to people's hearts. Lord, I just ask that if we've been pointing people to other things, I just pray if we've been looking at or pointing people in other directions, that you'd get our attention. I just pray that you'd arrest us and get our attention and waken us. Lord, if we're one of those ones who have been bitten by the circumstances, if we're in a place in our lives where we've let things, and Lord, where we want to blame somebody, and where we're angry, and where we're frustrated, and we feel that no one has cared for us or no one has met our need, I pray, God, that you would awaken us up. Before we go too far, Lord, Lord, before we go too far in our accusations against you and our accusations against our parents and our accusations against our husbands or our leaders that you've brought into our lives, I ask, Father, this morning that you would allow us to choose life, allow us to look to the cross. If the Holy Spirit's spoken to you about some of the attitudes of your heart, and he's spoken to you. It's not me speaking to you, friend. It's the Holy Spirit. When he speaks, he's looking to prevent further damage coming in your life. And if the Holy Spirit's spoken to you about one of two things, either that you've been pointing people the wrong way, you've been trusting in programs, well, if they hear this preacher, this preacher will do it for them, and you just want to say, Pastor, Lord, I just want to point people to Jesus. I want to be a signpost that points people to the cross. If life has bitten you and you just think, you know what? I'm kind of like them. I've been disappointed and I've been frustrated and I just don't want to live like that anymore. I just want to have a spirit of gratitude in my heart. Friends, you know what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. So I just pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit to do and accomplish his work in you that you'll look to the cross and that you'll choose life in every part of your life. (laughs) You'll choose life on your job. You'll choose life in your church relationship. You'll choose life in a relationship with your parents. You'll choose life in the places where those are an authority over you. You'll choose life in your marriage, in your home. Uh, Lord, just speak to people's hearts today and accomplish your purpose and your plan. In the name of Jesus.